listening to the Thundercling Podcast. <laughs> Just rippling abs. How are we going to get fucking sponsored by these guys if we can't even get the name right? Did you say you're doing wrestling moves? Oh god, I'm bleeding. Jason Kale's walk around on stilts. It's fucked up. Hi, it's Feedy. This voice is Dave. We're coming to you straight from the dust. Straight from the poisonous cement board dust. Correct. Where are we, dude? We're a blue-collar podcast straight up right now. Straight up blue-collar podcast. We go into people's apartments that they leave. We break things. Then we make things look slightly nicer. Ooh, Ooh. slightly. I mean, a lot nicer. Excuse me. (laughs) And then... We then we on. leave, we get make money, yeah. and then we leave. We're literally recording this in the afternoon <laughs> on Tuesday photo, um, from the job site. I am happy to be wearing a Hillary Clinton for president t-shirt at yeah, the Dave, job site. Dave was very generous and has, has allowed me to be his student and him We're the learning. master. We're learning. He's my, he is my sensei. I refer to him as Dave. This is, this is about to be a lie. This is a lie. I do not say that, but... Anyways. Anyway, we're coming to you from the worksite. So this isn't going to be a regular intro. We're not going to riff too much. Yeah. Even though... Even though there's... Obviously, there's a lot going on in the climbing world correct. right now. Um, the Daniel Woods issue, of course. The renaming Roots. The renaming of Roots. We have a lot of thoughts about all this. Yes. Um, but today isn't for our thoughts. No. It's for our guest, Amon Anderson, the owner of... Of beast owner, creator, entrepreneur, creator, research master. Yeah, <laughs> he owns uh, Beast Fingers Climbing, and yeah. you guys might have seen his product out there. What's it called? It's called the Gripple. The Gripple. Yep, and he also he also has the Gripple XL, and I'm pretty sure there's a few other things he makes, but they are all like super climbing specific training tools. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, not Beast Fingers isn't just that product; it is also a research platform where Amon has conducted research using his equipment to study the how climbers gain strength, uh, what what levels of strength is associated with what level of grade, as hard as that is to quantify. He's kind of trying it. And they also have a climbing team, both youth, actual competing team, and then they also have an ambassador program. And a college team. So it is, it is a all-encompassing Elon Musk-esque amount of things this man is involved in. Yeah, uh, the cool thing about Amon's research is that there are very few people out there employing analytics and data to like into the back end of their training yeah. philosophy. And Amon, um, I can't stress this enough, is on the very cutting edge, the very spear tip of employing analytics into climbing research. Yeah, similar to what like baseball did. If you've seen the the movie Moneyball or read the book, um, he's basically doing that with climbing. And he is, amongst a few others, a global leader in climbing research. Yeah. Um, super interesting. And, and I mean, one of the reasons we were excited to have him on the podcast is he's a pretty influential figure in the climbing community, but a lot of people don't really know of him. And we actually go into a little bit of how, why he kind of keeps his identity somewhat secretive on the beast fingers page and all that stuff so definitely i mean in my opinion aman is one of the undercover 
Mm-hmm. gigantic influencers of climbing. So another thing you might want to know about Amon is that he is one of the very few black business owners in climbing. Of course, he's a climber too. Yes. Um, but yeah, we talk about this, the struggles and kind of like the, the hurdles that he has to jump over that a white business owner doesn't have to in the climbing world or specifically considerations yes. that he feels he needs to take into account. But one of the the most admirable thing that Amon is doing as all of these co- companies from, you know, North Face to Black Diamond to Petzl down to like the little companies like Organic, mm-hmm. um, you've seen it online. They're trying to diversify. They're trying to employ uh, inclusivity into their message as, of course, we all should have been doing 30 years yes. ago, but it's happening now and it's a small step. But what Amon has done is he's created this ethos at his company, um, specifically evident in his pro ambassador team. Yes. Um, his team, in my estimation, is an absolute guidebook for people who want to do this the right way. Like Amon, <laughs> he is the shining star of how to build your team. Um, with diversity, advocacy, and inclusivity at the very forefront of your mind. Mm -hmm. For example, he has Melissa Edwards, one of the most outspoken um, POC climbers in America. And she does a lot of good work. She also works with a bunch of um, organizations as well. He has Maureen Beck, Beck, Mm -hmm. um, Maggie Yang. I hope I pronounced the last name right. But anyway, um, his team is an exemplification of sometimes it's okay if sometimes the message and the voice of your athletes reaches more people than the fucking letter grade that they boulder or climb at. Not that all of his athletes aren't absolute yes, crushers because yeah, they, they are, are, but Amon lets them, he gives them full reign, mm-hmm. like go after your advocacy, do it. I'm here to support you. And we talk a lot about that. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to talk about real quick. Do you have anything else about no, him on? No, I, I'm. I was super stoked to have him on. Yeah, he's. So. Uh, I we're really proud. If you've never heard um, of him on, because he has no social media and no, his name doesn't really. even exist on the Beast Figures yes. website. Uh, we're really happy. If this is your introduction to him on, we couldn't be more pleased. He is a badass. Um, I learned a lesson though before we get there. <laughs> yes, this is my lesson. <laughs> So the truth is, um, when you're a white guy like me and you're embroiling yourselves in these important conversations, it's, it's anxiety inducing. Yeah. It's Um, difficult. I consider myself an ally, but I know that I fuck up Mm -hmm. and I will fuck up and I'll put my foot in my mouth and I'll say the wrong thing and I'll ask the wrong question or I'll be, um, maybe I'm not listening well enough. Just all these things that you feel too, Fidi. Yeah. I mean... It definitely feels like right now the social climate is it's just so tense and it's almost if you're gonna speak your mind, it's almost impossible that you're not gonna say something that or that you're gonna say something that's going to um upset somebody. 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 For and, sure. The we're, we're you know, we're a global village now, we, like everybody's plugged but in. But like, you know, this is the whole I believe this is a big factor of this movement is that we have to still try to you know, bring these issues up and try to talk about them and do our best to acknowledge when we do or say things that are problematic and actually uh, own our mistakes. So yeah. And be open to learning. (laughs) Yeah. The question is like learning in real time. Yes. When, when I'm at home or you're at home reading 
um, or listening, yeah. you know, learning, educating, trying to grow. It's not that scary. It's like really mm-hmm. you've, you've kind of fallen into an intellectual place where like, Jesus, this is, I'm widening yeah. my horizons. And then as soon as you put it out in a discussion or public, well, that's a whole different Yeah, experience. when it's in real time, yeah. it's way more anxiety inducing. So I did something I've never done before. Yeah. Um, I called Amon the day before the podcast. I was like, hey man, can you spare five minutes to talk? And he's like, yeah, give me a call. Because <laughs> I, I wanted to make sure that he didn't feel like, I mean, this is going to sound terrible. This is the shit that goes through my mind. Like he didn't feel like Thunderkling was trying to tokenize him or yes. say, oh, this is this is our black guy. He's going to speak for every, that's not the point of it. Um, but I wanted to make sure that I got that across. So I was really nervous. Um, but you guys I ended called up talking him for like, and we ended up talking for an hour and 45 minutes when we were, <laughs> and dude, I'm never going to do this again because it was one of the best conversations I've ever had in my 22 years climbing and in the climbing industry. It was so fucking brilliant. I just loved it. I don't know how he feels about it. He could be like, Dave, dude, Joker. Um, but it was just, uh, it was just a great conversation between two guys. And, um, he told stories about, you know, his dad's like in his nineties and his dad uh, played baseball with Jackie Robinson. Yeah. And, you That's know. pretty dope. Yeah. Unbelievable. He was a, a minor league baseball player for a number of years. And he was around when the Negro Leagues were around. Um, and he, he just told so many stories that didn't translate into the podcast. So the lesson I learned is that I'm never, ever going to fucking call somebody beforehand because it changes the whole dynamic of the real podcast. Because yes. you're like can I sneak in like a hint for him to talk about the Jackie yeah. Robinson thing, yeah. which is, but it doesn't happen. So that's never going to happen again. Either but way, I, it was still a great interview. It's a, yeah. It's a great so, conversation. Stick, uh, check it out. And if you want to hear some of our thoughts on all the stuff going on in the climbing world, we'll be in the outro talking about it. Um, if not, no worries, sort of. Yeah. Enjoy him <laughs> on. He's, uh, the dude is, um, a leader in this industry in so many unknown ways. It's going to yes. blow your mind. Badass. Cool. See you guys soon. Uh, bye. If I had to lean one way, I'd probably lean left. Cause social injustice don't give my respect now. And the, I don't know, man. It just feels like the apocalypse is happening, basically. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah, I'm, always, I'm always questioning, like, what's going to happen tomorrow? And then <laughs> when tomorrow comes, I'm like, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? <laughs> Remember, dude, so, the aliens. Yeah, yeah there you go. The aliens. They released that video, so hey, Dude, that's when you knew sh- that's when you knew shit was bad. When the Pentagon's like, "Yeah, we uh, confirm there are UFOs," <laughs> and no one gave a shit. I yeah, say come for us. We don't know what the hell this is. So, <laughs> How, do you have a, a microphone that you're on? You're you sound fucking good. Yeah. Um. No, I'm just talking through this uh, MacBook. Holy crap, you know, this is like the best it's ever sounded like this. Yeah. Big this, ups to Jonathan Ives, you know, designer <laughs> of a- Apple. Out of way, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> are you still living at Hunter's place? Yeah, I'm still here. Cool. That house is yeah. really awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, it's uh, <laughs> sometimes I wonder, it's, it sometimes feels like, you know, I don't know if you guys ever remember those little haunted houses that they used to build. Oh, yeah. Uh, at like the carnivals mm-hmm. and you walk inside. 
That's how it feels sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a weird place, man. When we went over there to, to interview Hunter, I was like, this place has serious personality. A lot of vibes. Yeah. Yeah. There's like paintings in the wall, cobwebs, and like, you're like, oh, this, yeah, this place, yeah, it's, it's, got some, it's got some serious energy, you know. How long do you live there? It's going on two years now. Okay. Two years. Are you yeah. a Grateful Dead fan yet? Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, um, what's his name? Uh, Jerry Garcia. Jerry Garcia. Jerry oh, Garcia. really? I like, I like Jerry Garcia. He reminds me a lot of, uh, a lot of his work definitely just has those like seventies, you know, black soul undertones, like the Staples singers or like, you know, uh, or I don't know. Like I listen to a lot of Snarky Puppy, Maroon Five, and yeah, um, a lot of those old bands. And so, you know, yeah, I re- I, I I don't listen to the to uh, uh, the Grateful Dead, but yeah, Hunter plays that shit every morning. Yeah. Dude, Grateful yeah. Dead fans are an entire so an entire breed all to themselves. Oh yeah, it's like oh, yeah. it's like it's- this healthy little cult. <laughs> Healthy, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think, think that's so. One way to put it, yeah, healthy. <laughs> I mean, they don't get know? into trouble. They're like, they like love everything and want to just yeah, do their hippie yeah. dance. The hippies, you know, so yeah, that life, man. Yeah. But Garcia it's, did come straight out of the blues. Like that was yeah. what he played, what he was playing in San Francisco when yeah. the Grateful Dead started. So it has like that underpinnings of the history mm-hmm. of rock in it. Mm-hmm. I love that shit. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you listen to a lot of these like newer bands like Snarky Puppy, you know, they definitely uh, were built. I can tell that they they definitely pull a lot of inspiration from. from I'll have that. to check that band out. I don't heard of it. Snarky Puppy. I'm writing that down right now. Oh, Snarky Puppy. Yeah, there's a couple of Snarky Puppy, Brass Tracks. Um, I listen to a lot of jazz. I play piano. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I always like. You know, live, improv, you know, oh, just yeah. that, fun- that funky, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good stuff. My other job is um, a freelance writer. That's what I do. That's what I did for like a decade. And okay. I all it's the only time I listen to jazz, but I have like a whole jazz library. So every time I'm writing, it's like Louis Armstrong, Thelo- oh, yeah. Thelonious Monk. Um, uh-huh. Dave Brubeck occasionally in his band. Um, yeah, yeah. But, oh, I love it. It just gets your mind moving in like a in a creative way, in yeah, like non-linear no. ways, right? It's true. Oh yeah, it's true. Yeah, it just takes your mind for a spin. It totally yeah, does. When I, when I design, especially when when I was working in DC, I uh, I listened to a lot of different styles of music in my design process. A lot of classical uh jazz turkish you know cultural turkish music or like a lot of spanish guitar you know i I go in different places i love rap you know i listen to a lot of rap a lot of that new shit too you know little baby and all those soundcloud rappers but when i'm designing it's hard to design to it yeah only because my my mind just starts thinking too much about the lyrics. So, 
Yes. Uh, yeah. It's nice, you know, not, you know, like non-vocal type mm-hmm. music really helps my inspiration. Yeah. You get a little more swept away instead of like pulled into, into the, like, <laughs> yeah. You know, instead of being, I feel like, yeah, if it, if it's, if it's uh like instrumental rap, you know, like the beats, yeah, you know, that, that works. Uh, Cause I feel like when, when you're, when you're listening to instrumental, uh, it's like internally your body just starts creating the lyrics, you know? And yeah. then if you're, if you are in a creative flow, it's perfect because it just puts you in that state to just ride the beat, you know, wherever you go with your design process. So, uh-huh. so yeah, yeah. That's one reason why it's hard for me to listen to, um, music with lyrics when I'm designing. Man, I totally, I totally agree. If you're listening, yeah. when I listen to music with lyrics when I'm writing, it's just I start co-opting what I'm hearing. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I, you start co-opting yeah. the vibe or the yeah. message a little bit, and then four minutes later, it's a new song, and it causes fucking chaos in your brain. <laughs> Whereas, like yeah. a good jazz song is like 13 minutes long, man. Yeah. And you just <laughs> fall into the drummer's beat. Oh yeah, you're in complete flow. I will say, I will say I've had some of my most productive work days where listening to like run the jewels where it's just like this driving. Yes. (laughs) I just destroy this work. Yeah. Run the jewels. Badass. Yeah. You still play piano? Yeah. Yeah. Still do. Uh, yeah. Piano's a big part of, um, my life, my family too. My sister plays, uh, there's quite a few musicians in the family. So, Oh, it's badass. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you I like it when you were a kid? Wow, but no, not at all. <laughs> Hated it. Yeah. yeah, I would, I would make excuses so that I didn't have to go. I would tell my my teacher, like even when my parents dropped me off, I'll tell my teacher, yeah, my my parents said because my fingers hurt, I can't play. <laughs> and so then my teacher would call my parents and say, did you tell him that he can't play because his fingers hurt? And oh, they're no. like, no. So. <laughs> That'll get so, you in yeah. trouble. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm glad that um, they continued to press music. You know, um, I feel like music is, is a powerful tool um, for many things. It's used as a vehicle for for social uh, issues, for expression, for so many different things. So it's good. You know, totally, it's a good man. skill to have. I have a lot of respect for people who have, continued the craft of music from their childhood <laughs> yeah it's de- about decompression yeah, too you know what i mean yeah and it's like a tool to fight boredom um i've been playing guitar for 25 years and dude, oh yeah there you go i don't even know what yeah. i do without that you know when yeah. you're like yeah you kind of don't have an opportunity to be bored when you look over and you see your piano or your guitar or something you're like oh shit it's true i, just I can't be bored it. I can't be bored. Yeah. I could go practice or just go play. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's true. Let's get fidgeting. in. Let's get into your uh, childhood a little bit. Okay. Like you were born and raised in Florida. Yeah, born and raised uh, Orlando, Florida. Oh, right on. Yeah. So how was yeah. that? How was? Uh, how old are you, by the way? Well, I turned thirty-three next month. Actually. Oh. Happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday, man. Yeah. Soon. Yeah, soon. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're soon, welcome. Soon. Well, we're a little yeah. bit, we had a little bit of an age gap here. Yeah. I turned 46 in two days. I, I've turned 28. Oh, shit. Cancer <laughs> life. Did you say cancer life? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm a crab, dude. Cancer season. <laughs> walking yeah. walking sideways through this get, world. <laughs> get ready for the emotions and the tears. Oh, come on. Now you're starting to sound like Mike's girlfriend. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> she never let me forget I was a cancer. Um uh, but anyway, how was uh, that? Were did you were you raised in like uh an athletic family because you found climbing? I'm always curious yeah. how people find climbing, especially coming out of Florida. Florida, but there's so many strong people from Florida, so it's crazy. Oh yeah, crazy. yeah I could run off a list. Yeah, people that inspired me: climbers from Florida, Hunter, Alex Menikowski, um, Who else? There's plenty. Mark Mercer, he's a great route setter down there. Matt Siegel, um, Siegel, Megan Martin, uh, Megan Martin, um, Araldo Vitor- Vittorio. He's yeah. a big setter for Earth Tracks, and so yeah, you know. Oh man, there's tons of Florida. Yeah, people. I know it's crazy. Our, it's Caesar really... Valencia. Now my, now, my, now my list is going crazy yeah, right yeah. now. Keenan yeah, Wagner, the fucking yeah. president of USA Climbing, yeah. there for a while. Yeah, CG. You know, that crazy. Charlie Garcia. You know, so yeah. What a rich Quite heritage a... to come out of a place with no rocks and it's diverse too it's like yeah. you know and that's what's so amazing about florida like the, the the climbers who've come out of florida top climbers who competed on the national circuit even like bobby Pittman, you know like yeah we're hispanic we're black we're this we're that you know we're brazilian we're all over the place mm-hmm. yeah you know? and, I, and i think that's what's amazing about florida is that um if you introduce um almost called a country because florida is a country in itself <laughs> it really is if you introduce <laughs> you introduce a sport to the florida man or the florida woman you know um they take hold of it and they embrace it and you know yeah floridians floridians love rock climbing it's it's surprising that's so you know, cool there's not many gyms in florida but but yeah yeah it's uh it's 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 actually one of the only or one of the first black owned gyms uh was built in florida which one was that yeah um what's her name um some tip of my head coral reefs i think it's coral reefs climbing gym. Oh, that's a good name is that still open yeah it is okay cool it oh, is nice yeah, what is her name? It's on the tip of my tongue. I see her all the time. She's on Brown Girls Climb. They feature her a lot. Um, oh my god, it's gonna come to me later. We'll, we'll find her later. later. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, she uh, she's. I remember meeting her uh, at CWA a couple years ago, and I was just inspired. I was like, wow. At the time, I, I think it was one of the only black-owned gyms mm-hmm. in America. Yeah, um, that's. Yeah. Definitely a so, problem with the climbing culture. Fuck, man. Yeah. It's hard to like know how, how to segue in and out of these, of the cultural and uh, problematic discussions we're going to have right now. But I'm just going to jump into a question about that. Like, you find inspiration from a black owned gym, obviously. But we chatted about it last night about how mm-hmm. a lot of climbers of color don't have a lot of like mentors or like role models to say like, Oh, that person looks like me. You know what I mean? Like we talked about Kai Leitner last night. Yeah. I just kind of want to, 
Abby. 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 Yeah. Shout out to Abby. Keep up the good work. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, Abby opened up that gym in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, yeah, yeah, it's true um, what you're saying. Um, yeah, you know, it's that's what's nice about growing up in Florida is that you're you're exposed to a lot because there's Florida is a, is a melting pot of mm-hmm. culture and um, ways of life, ways of thinking. Um, shit, I mean, we got Disney World, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now we all think we can do magic yeah you know? that's right but uh but yeah you know it's 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 something you know it's something that um that i think about a lot you know especially in climbing um you know i fell in love i was you know when i fell in love with rock climbing it was in 2008 and um and i will say that being a black person exposed to rock climbing um, at that time, uh, because I was first introduced to it by a buddy of mine, Chris, um, no, Scott Holstey, that was his name, I'll never forget his name. And he was from Washington State. I was living in Washington State at the time doing product design and, uh, you know, at the time, you know, I, I, I wasn't rock climbing. I was just, you know, playing soccer, pickup games that I would do with the college, local college kids because I played soccer growing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met Scott. Um, and he was like, hey, man, you know, you should come rock climbing with me. And it wasn't like, hey, let's go rock climbing. We were going on a hike. And then there was this boulder in the middle of the field. Yeah. And he just scaled it. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> that was sick. Like, what the hell? It's like this man just climbed this rock. He's like, come on up. <laughs> I was just like, okay, here we go. I had on some boots and, you know, I'm up there, no chalk, no nothing. And I get to the top of this thing. I was like, whoa, that was cool. I just climbed this boulder. Yeah. He's like, yeah, man. And so when we got back to the city, Okay. Yeah. What's you the know, city? Because we're on the mountainside, you know. Were you guys huh? in Seattle? We were in uh, uh, the Wallawa Mountains, close oh. to Walla Walla. Okay. And so, um, so yeah, that that was mind blowing for me because then he took me to the YMCA that had a climbing gym mm-hmm. inside of it, and I was like, wow, this is a sport. Yeah. You know, like this is there's an indoor facility for this. Um, you know, people train inside to do this outside. Now, you know, it was just like that moment. It was, it was just, it was just completely mind blowing. And then when I realized that it was an actual sport and I left Washington and went back out East, you know, not having Scott, you know, cause Scott, he basically mentored me through everything, rock climbing, mountaineering, you know, all that, buying gear, how to place gear, all yeah. that stuff. And, wow. you know, just that one guy. And he was Scottish, white guy. And um, never forget this man. Scottish Scott. And, uh, yeah, Scottish Scott. Yeah. <laughs> and he was a mountaineer to heart. You know, he uh, his father was a mountaineer. And, um, and you know, and it was, it was a big thing in their family. Um, and so outside of Scott, climbing definitely didn't have a 
that much of a presence for me. You know, you know how like climbers today have friends. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, 400 phone numbers in their phone book, all rock climbers. You know, I just had Scott, <laughs> you know. So when I moved out east, um, that's when I started looking for a community. And then I stumbled upon Earth Tracks um, back in Maryland. And uh, and that really introduced me to the the diverse uh, side of climbing that I didn't know existed. And uh, and yeah, it was it was great. It was great. So it was love at first sight, basically. Yeah, from yeah, that first until, boulder in the field. Yeah, until I got immersed into climbing, then I realized, damn, this sport has a long There's, ways to go. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I feel like. I feel like if you're if you're on the East Coast or if if you grew up, you know, climbing in a diverse gym, um, you think that that's climbing, you yeah. know, like you walk into, you know, uh, a gym like Earth Treks on the East Coast. Now, there's a difference between the the, the Earth Treks on the Golden. East Coast <laughs> and the Earth. Yeah, there's difference. Oh yeah, there's that's difference. yeah, that's, yeah, that's... yeah. <laughs> But I was I was a, a member of Rockville, and that gym had every culture on the face of the planet. Every race was in that gym, and um, that was good for me. I think it was nurturing for sure for me to see that side of of rock climbing. Um, you know, people were helping each other move, and you yeah. know they're you know helping each other with breakups you know <laughs> yeah it was just like a big culture you know family you know and uh that was community that yeah. was where i really fell in love with rock climbing when i left rockville maryland and went to climb at other gyms it was a complete difference it was a completely different environment and um Sad to say, I haven't experienced an environment like that in the last six years. And I've climbed at every, most gyms here in Colorado. Yeah. And I guess there's a lot to be said for that. You know, Denver is 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 growing, I think, when it comes to climbing. Um, you know, Spot just recently put a gym there. And, and so they're beginning to attract, you know, different groups of people and there's a lot of social media groups that are popping up that are introducing climbers to, you know, this, you know, not just any climber, but like indigenous climbers, native American climbers, um, Spanish, black, you know, and they're bringing them to these communities like, you know, movement in Denver and Denver is just a great spot for that to take place. Um, so I, I do believe that at maybe in the near future, I feel like Denver could be, uh, a good place mm -hmm. to bring that family intersectional dialogue between the races this the, you know to be able to enjoy um the sport in a way that is not um so saturated uh with with uh with racial disparity if you know what i mean yeah um, i feel like there's a hunger for it even before the george floyd murder um over the last couple of years specifically at movement um, I've seen a bit more of a hunger for, to have more of a, a spectrum of people like the Rhino Gym. The Rhino, the Rhino Gym, gym has in a particular way more inclusive culture than the Baker one. Like they were actively hosting like queer climb nights. Uh, yeah, they still do that. Like one Thursday a month, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, and then there was also like the uh, I forget what they called it, but it was like the pe- pe- like it was like a person of color climb night too. So that they do, yeah. they are definitely doing a great job of tr- like introducing uh, ways to encourage people to come and you know like have have a community there. Where's the Baker one? Not so much. I would I would say. <laughs> yeah. What was? How did that affect your like love of the sport when you leave? like the earth tracks out on the east coast and you're like this is how this is just how climbing is it's diverse you know every the cultures are represented and then you come to a place like colorado does that affect the way that you feel about like the sport that you've fallen in love with yeah it did um definitely uh it had a huge impact um for me um you know, because you, you have your friends and you have your community, um, but not just any friends in any community. It's a diverse group of friends and a diverse community that's introducing the different cultures, different ways of living, foods, um, you know, and that's what I was used to, you know. And so um, I don't want to say it's like comparing apples and oranges. I mean, it's earth tracks and earth tracks. It's orange and orange. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah it, i think it's just the the environment made uh made it easy for it to take place there um and you know they 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 tried you know they they i think earth checks brought their staff initially some of their maryland staff over to try and create that culture and i and i believe that they really tried really hard to replicate what they did it in Maryland. Um, but it's just the environment is just different. You know, Golden, Colorado is different from Denver, Colorado. Yeah, I think Ingle, Inglewood has a potential at the Inglewood Earthtrax facility because um, it's so close enough to Denver and Lakewood and Aurora. There's many different, you know, groups of, of people around that area that has great potential for a diverse um, set of climbers. Um, but yeah, it definitely did have an impact for me. Going to the gym uh, began to start feeling like a bore. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it did be it did become a challenge. Um, you you go to the gym sometimes and you feel like you're in a zoo. <laughs> oh yeah, you know. And I'm the peacock. You're like, oh yeah, look at this black dude. He's so strong. He's coming here, you know, doing yeah. his thing. That's awesome. You know where you know. At, at the gyms that I felt more at home, I didn't feel like that. Yeah. You know, I didn't feel like every time I come here, you know, all eyes on you, you know. Right, that's pop, that's right? the strong black climber at the gym. Yeah, you know, sometimes you just want to go and just enjoy yourself. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be that guy who is climbing your climb and making it look easy. And then they're like, man, you made it look easy, you know. Um and then the whole friendship is built on that. Yeah. You know? Um, and so after a while, you know, you just, you, you feel as, as, as though that this environment is just not, just doesn't fit where, where, where I'm at right now, you know? Um, want more meaningful friendships that are built on, on deeper, deeper, um, meaningful relations like this interpersonal relationship and this you know um uh not so superficial 
yeah, you know, the deep. Yeah, you know that, and that, and that's that's what I experienced when I was in Maryland. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I don't know what other people's experiences are, but because I know Brooklyn Boulders has a culture, I feel like every gym has a particular culture. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, and I, I don't want to talk bad about these gyms. They're great facilities. They're great. You know, um, they're great gyms. You know, but I just know for me, um, the type of environment that I felt more comfortable in was an environment that um, had a diverse, like you said, this spectrum of, of, of color, races, of music um, that's played in the speakers, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it adds a lot to, to building a safe space for communities that, um, that are, um, that are minority groups, you know, that are, not as well represented in the climbing uh world sure i you know i feel like the gyms here in denver since we're all here um i i feel like they want to endeavor to create such an environment but i feel like a lot of the gyms struggle in the how right struggle in mm-hmm. in installing instilling that kind of intersectional diversity and open doors to all cultures i where do you think that's where do you think that starts? It seems to me that that starts on a community outreach level. It does. It does. It, I mean, it's difficult. It's challenging. Yeah. I mean, you can only you can only pull from what you have, right. you know, and, and and a lot of times when gyms are doing their investment planning and they're figuring out places to place a gym, they're looking for the best possible outcome for sustainability financially. Um and and for the community as well um you know so uh a lot of times uh diversity just gets tagged on you know i feel like you build a gym like oh yeah this is a great place you know it's it's a buzzing environment you know it's trend you know it's it's got this new millennial vibe to it. it's going to be a great place for a gym pop it right there like rhino you know, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. maybe diversity was a part of their decision. I don't know. But um, you're in Denver and Denver has uh, quite a spectrum. Um, and so you're going to get you're going to pull, you know, from these um, communities um, and they're going to come. Um, but if your gym is positioned in uh, a place that does not um, share the similarities of, say, Denver, Colorado or Orlando, Florida or or Washington DC or Los Angeles, then, um, you're going to be facing an issue of diversity. Um, no matter how hard you try to, um, bring, um, uh, this dialogue to your facility or, or trying to, um, to raise the bar for building safe spaces for inclusivity and, and and um diversity you're going to have a struggle if your community surrounding your facility is 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 not diverse i mean if you're in lincoln nebraska you're fucked <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, i mean it's seriously a challenge. yeah it, it is you know um and that's why i feel like a lot of gyms should definitely um uh understand that you know um um, I know everyone is trying really hard to do the best they can to make uh, shifts and moves right now. Um, 
But the bigger responsibility is upon these gyms that are in these communities. It's those gyms that have that sh- you know that that have an accountability to do something for their diverse community. Um, and if they are lucky enough to be in an environment that has the wealth of America's history around their gym, right. uh, then if they if their uh, gym is not diverse uh, by now, then there's a problem with the gym leaders um so yeah yeah it seems like it becomes a choice then yeah it it definitely does you create the culture that you want and uh if 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 your gym is is five minutes from the hood of 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 denver colorado or or orlando florida and these people aren't in your gym then there's a reason why they're not in your gym and, uh, and, and yeah, you know, and, and, uh, there's a lot of work to be done. There is a lot of work to be done. Um, let's step back for a sec. I want to, I want to do a better job of introducing who you are and I want to introduce beast fingers a bit more. So you're, Tell us a little bit about your history in design and science and stuff like that. Um, that you were do were you were doing that before you were introduced to climbing? Like that was your college education, right? Yeah. So I uh, went to school for uh, health science um, with a focus on nutrition, and um, I did a um, I did a minor in design. Um, desktop publishing i mean mind you this is 2005 <laughs> <laughs> different world yeah, sure. yeah desktop publishing was the shit man <laughs> uh yeah there was no web design back then you know there was no user experience and ui and cognitive learning maybe for video games you know back then they called it gui or gui mm-hmm. um but now if you call it that oh my god you sound like you're from the 60s or something <laughs> You know, oh yeah, I'm a GUI designer. Oh, okay, yeah. What you do? You make interfaces for uh, Windows. Uh, <laughs> Windows 95, baby. Windows 95. <laughs> yeah, I make GUIs. Um, so yeah, I mean, back then there was no uh, dedicated program towards uh, user experience and UI and, and and science. So desktop publishing was it. You know, so I did that. And at the time, I really didn't see the emphasis or the need to pursue a career in computers, you know, um, and interaction. Um, So at the time, yeah, that was the best thing that was available um, for design, for whatever you choose to to pursue it as. And uh, I remember finishing school and getting my first job as a... uh, magazine designer and that's where i went to washington state and uh did that for a while that's kind of um, dope <laughs> yeah yeah did that it was an award-winning agency yeah we got a couple of awards there sick you know oh, cool mag got to do a couple magazine covers and you know it was a really cool creative place um and you know mind you i built a career on my minor uh so yeah <laughs> you know you don't find that too often uh in in when you're working with your peers most of your peers are pursuing a career in their major right uh so yeah it was it was quite interesting so i got 
put on a lot of health projects. Um, so, you know, cause I understand what, you know, heart rate is, and you know, protein and all these things. So, you know, it was easy for me to understand these, you know, molecular concepts and create designs that had a, um, a science feel to them. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely did, uh, get pushed into health, um, which drove me to, uh, continuing down that path, um, throughout the rest of my career and working for environmental working group based out of DC. Um, I worked there, uh, and we did a lot of projects for the USDA, FDA. I mean, you name it, um, helping push, um, organic produce reform, um, lots of different things that we did there. It was a really cool environment. And that was where I got exposed to um, applying, applying design in the realm of user experience and um, user interface and product design. Um, so yeah, that um, lasted pretty much most of my career. So half of my career was dedicated to print media and then the other half, or maybe 70% or more of my career was dedicated to um, human cognition and um, computer uh, interaction. Does that have anything to do, this is like a literal question, I have no idea. Does that have anything to do with ergonomics? ergonomics yeah. Is... Er... Oh, yeah. <laughs> you no, it's all you. It's all you. you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh I, don't, I might get this wrong. Um, Dave threw but, a curveball. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely going to get it wrong, so I need, we need some help. <laughs> what is ergonomics? Yeah. Uh, That's our gotcha yeah. question for this podcast. <laughs> well, you know, my, my idea of ergonomics is 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 human centered design. Um, it, it's uh, it's it's taking. Um, it's taking the human form and 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 designing products that um, that are not foreign to the human body, whether it be uh, molecular or on a, mm -hmm. like medicine, like medicine design or product design, uh, phones or or in computer interaction. So ergonomics, uh, I think, applies to all five senses of the body, see, hear, smell, taste, touch. Okay. Um, so that's how you can develop different systems of, of design for um, like the impaired or, um, you know, that's why Apple and, and it's always praised for their, um, the, the, their user interface's ability to, uh, um, help those who have impairments, visual impairments or hearing impairments. Um, and, and in the field of ergonomics, um, that is um, um, that is something that you can celebrate, you know, right. even though it's not a physical product. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so at what point, at what point in your career were you like, you know what, I'm, I love this sport climbing so much that I want to, transition into it you know like um you took you took your design skills and you started your company beast fingers mm -hmm. so i'm just kind of curious where that transition how that transition started and yeah i'm fa yeah. i'm fascinated to hear about this yeah you know it uh it all started um just trying to get stronger for myself yeah um i had a group of buddies that we used to climb with together and we just all just wanted to get strong together 
and uh, we called ourselves Team Gorda. You can look it up. I think the Instagram account still exists. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to tell you that. It was called Team Gorda. Gorda, yeah, I don't know if you uh, are familiar with Spanish, but it it's means... Team Fat, um, right? Yeah, Fat <laughs> Woman. Um, uh, but we, we pulled it from... Uh, the Virgin Gorda, which at the time was ah. like hype, you know, everyone was going to the Virgin Gorda oh. to climb, and yeah. you know, all these videos were coming out from LT11, and we we're just like, oh man, Team Gorda, we're gonna be Team Gorda, you know. So that's where the name came from. Uh, so we had this little group, and we just wanted to get strong, and we just wanted to, you know, and it was a diverse group. I mean, we were all different backgrounds, different, uh, you know, cultures, and um and uh so i started just building shit in my apartment <laughs> wow it was like you know hey we could use this we could try this yeah some of the things i i did keep to myself um only because i didn't want anyone to get hurt uh, some <laughs> of the thing- <laughs> oh my god some of the things i built were dangerous you know because they had nails and i would use them at home and you know, break. I was like, ooh, yeah, I definitely don't want to show that to my friends. Um, that sounds so, like rock climbing right there, man. When you're just yeah. getting, everything's dangerous when you're fucking like dabbling. Oh, man, even training, yep. you know. So, but yeah, it was uh, one one day I was uh, with my dad and uh, um, in Florida, my mom and my dad, I was visiting. And I, I just was sleeping one night and all these prototypes had ramped in my head, things that I had built. And uh, I woke up one, one morning, I was like, dad, I, I wanna build something. I'm wondering if you could help me. And so he was like, sure, sure, I'll help you build it. And so I told him what I wanna do and he kind of got his tools. Mind you, my dad was like 80 at the time. Yeah. So, you know, he, he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll build it for you. And he just like grabs his tools and builds it. And that was like the first gripple, you Whoa. know? And uh, yeah, so I held on to it for like a year, maybe a year or two. Uh, didn't didn't do anything with it. I just kind of kept it in my bag and I showed it to my friends and they would play with it and use it. And, um, and I remember uh, when I moved to Colorado, people started asking me for it. They're like, hey, man, can you build me one? So I would go to Home Depot, cut up some wood, you know, mm-hmm. put the stuff together, and I would ship it, you know, to my friends. And and uh, and I was like, you know, man, it would be so cool if I can actually make this and manufacture it. Because the wood breaks after a while. Yeah, yeah. And so, especially if you start to get real strong. Um, and so that's when Beast Fingers was born. That was 2015, the how, end of 2015. How was that experience? Like you've been working for people your entire life. You know, you're you're just like a, you're another drone at a desk. And all of a sudden, you're a entrepreneur. How was the yeah, experience it, of stepping into that world? It, it was a. Uh, it was. It was a. Uh, um, it was an interesting experience, you know, going from that world, you know, as as a um, employee to an entre- an entrepreneur. It was scary. Um, 
and uh, it definitely didn't hit until I quit my job. That's when it really hit. I was like, oh, shit. I better make this work. (laughs) This is really hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, it, it was, it was, it was scary. It was surprising. Um, and, uh, I learned a lot. I failed a lot and I grew a lot too, um, to be able to be where I am today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know if anyone out there is planning to be an entrepreneur, but let me tell you, it's, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> Fucking hard work, man. Yeah, and I mean, not only is was Beast Fingers this product that you know you you came up with, but then you also expanded it into a climbing team, both for youth and for adults. You know, and yeah. So like, it's just I'm very curious how yeah this this product kind of grew and um I don't know did you fully commit to Beast Fingers in 2015? Like was that when you were just like is that why you moved out to Colorado? No, no, it wasn't. I moved out here to join a, a, a product design team who developed apps for children and um, websites that marketed these products mm-hmm. um, for, you know, learning and, and, um, and so forth. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so my, my idea at the time was to continue my career as a, as a user experience designer, continue this field of UI, uh, user interface. And, uh, yeah, you know, I was doing beast fingers on the side and, um, yeah. And, 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 you know, your employers, they begin to notice, they're like, you know, uh, we notice you've been uh, sleepy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or going to expos, you've been taking a lot of vacation days. <laughs> You know, and you know, when you're getting called into meetings for taking too many vacations, like, yeah, you know, this is not, might be time. Yeah. Might be time. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and so, um, it, it, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely a challenge for sure. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't fully committed in 2015, but I knew that I wasn't fully committed to my career either. So. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot going on in my head. Dude, totally. Yeah. And then, so you make beast fingers and you're like, okay, I'm going to manufacture these things. I need to get them out of the world, out to the world. What was the next step? Like, did you have like Scottish Scott, did you have a mentor in that world to kind of show you the ropes of, you know, how to get the product into a brick and mortar store or how to sell it online or how to advertise it or who your allies could be, you know, because it, it, climbing training products in 2015 <clears throat> weren't quite as popular as they are during COVID-19, like during these days, you know, where. Oh no. Yeah. It, it was, yeah, there was a, nothing. Yeah. At the time, I don't even think there was, there were products similar to the, to, to the gripple. Um, Metolius, the 3D rock rings were really popular. Everyone had those. Oh, yeah. And uh, I had them. And I was like, man, this is a really versatile training tool. And um, at the time, I, you know, I just wanted more versatility. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, when you're a designer, you just want more versatility. 
why not for less you know exactly uh so so yeah you know it, it i did have i did have some mentors um in the beginning um there was some my dad of course um my dad he's he's a businessman at heart for sure um he, he i taught him how to use a computer like 15 years ago that's awesome and, yeah, that was like one of the best things I think I've ever did. And he he took he took he teaches it. me stuff. Yeah, he like he'll say, "Well, I was on Google and I saw that you know you should probably get you a, a SPL or you know get you a processing center or maybe wow. you should try casting." Or I was like, "Dad, how you do all this stuff?" He's like, "I'm going on Google." And you you can go on Google and just type it in the machine and it'll show you right there. Dude. I'm like, okay, so I you know. Um, <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna do that. You know, I'm gonna get me a three PL. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. You know, and um, yeah, you know, and and I had I had some good friends, um, you know, that that helped with with the birth of Beast Fingers Climbing for sure. Um, that, that definitely helped me when I migrated to Colorado. Um, you know, I think of one one name for sure, Gabe Gabe Adams. You know, he uh, he definitely um, taught me a lot. Um, he's an entrepreneur himself. Um, he owns one of the best high performance auto shops in Colorado, probably in this region across the U.S. What's it called? Um, Blue Water Performance. Give, uh, give him a little on, shout out. Yeah. Yeah, they work on Lambos, Audis, everything. You yeah. know, everything German. You know, <laughs> and. Uh, and you know, Gabe's story, you know, very was very similar to mine. You know, even though he is white, you know, Gabe grew up in a very low income area in Ohio, and uh, so we were able to relate on a lot of things. Um, even though I was black and he was white, and he would have talks with me. He would say, "Hey, man, if you want this business to thrive, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to hustle. You got to grind. You got to boom, boom, boom." I'm like, "Man, we're trying to make a rap album." Here. <laughs> Get it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you Eminem and I'm Gucci man, you know, let's get it. You know, and it, like he would give me so much drive and so much hustle, you know. He was one of the guys that inspired me to leave my job and uh find a job that was more flexible. And uh yeah, and I did that, man. And whew, man, let me tell you, I left being a user interface designer making however seventy plus thousand a year to working a, as a grocery store worker making like $14 an hour. I think they started me at 12. Jesus. And uh, I left that job and I worked at King Supers so that I can have the flexibility to run Beast Fingers Climbing and coach. And that's when I started getting yeah. into coaching. Um, so I will work the night shift at King Supers. So big, you know, when you support King Supers, just remember you're, you're supporting, <laughs> supporting beast figures. entrepreneurs like me working a night shift right dude, now I mean, at King Supers. So, oh man, that's amazing. That is a hustle. Yeah. Dude. So I, I did that, and um, and he was like, "Yeah, man, you're on the right track. You just gotta stick with it. Gotta do it." You know, I'm like, "All right, we're back to making our rap album." You know. <laughs> um, but yeah, Gabe Gabe was a big. Uh, he was, you know, he definitely inspired me a lot. Um, cause he had a lot of struggles in starting his company and a lot of, um, you know, issues that he had to deal with. Um, and, uh, and I did that. And the thing about Gabe, 
because he made me feel comfortable with the decisions that I made. Because <laughs> everyone else would be like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Why would you leave making this money to go do this at a grocery store working at night shift? You ain't never worked in a grocery store in your life, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, man, I, I became, you know, um, yeah, I, I became um, a new person over a span of like a couple months. It changed me from the inside out. It, it, it showed me a different side of the, of the career, uh, that a, a different side of my career, because I feel like this is still a part of my career as a designer, but it, this is something that I would never have gotten uh, being an employee uh, for a firm or, or anything else. Um, because now you have to learn how to do government paperwork, filing, you have to do all this planning and, and, and you know, doing cash flow management and, you know, manufacturing and um, all sorts of different aspects of running a business that um, when you're a designer for a firm, you're just there to do one thing is just design, gather research, product tests, fail a lot make new products you just go to sleep every night you know with the assurance of a paycheck every two weeks and you just design and that's it yeah you don't have to run anything you don't have to think about or worry about anything um but you know where i'm at now it it, it everything changes now you're not only a designer but now you have worries you're thinking about survival you're thinking about the survival of your business and your other ventures and wondering how you're going to make it through this phase of COVID or this or that. And, you know, and, and it's the up and the hill, you, you know, all the, all survival. The, the, yeah. You know, it, it changes you as, as a person. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it opened up my eyes, um, to myself. I learned a lot about myself as a person um, through this whole process. Well, and, <clears throat> and then you went on to form a team, a youth team, a collegiate team, kind of your ambassador team. So that I imagine for the first time forced you like, now I have to come up with an ethos for this company. I have to come up with a culture. Like I'm the mm. boss. The culture mm. starts with me. And one thing we talked about last night is, um, I think your, especially your pro team, your ambassadors is probably the best example that I can see in the climbing world of an inclusive, diverse team where the voice and the, uh, the advocacy of your athletes is equal to or greater than their accomplishments on the rock. Hmm. And I... Yeah. And I wonder, and this is something that large companies like from Patagonia to Black Diamond to Metolius to whomever can learn something from Beast Fingers. And I'm wondering what that process was like about building your team and choosing who you want to represent. I mean, your athletes are representing you. Mm. What was that process like in that decision-making process? Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, I mean, you know, I really appreciate those words for sure. Oh, they come from the heart. <laughs> I hope, hope I, you know, I sometimes hope I'm doing it the right thing. Um, I, I did have a couple examples that I looked up to 
um, in the beginning, Mad Rock for sure. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, Evolve, um, for sure too. You know, they, uh, both I think are Asian companies, right? Yeah. They're both Mad Asian Rock. companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mad Rock came out of South Korea, I believe. I'm not sure exactly. At least the designer and the owner came out of South Korea. And I'm not sure about Evolve, but I know they are a- an Asian company. Yeah. Both with highly and, diverse teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that spoke volumes to me because I was looking at what direction I wanted to take because I was looking at different companies. I looked at Friction Labs and what they did with their ambassador program. And I looked at... Um, North Face and so many other um, companies. And, uh, you know, either the team was too big or it was not diverse enough or, you know, and or the athletes just did climbing, um, you know, and, and I definitely wanted to take a different twist because I feel as though climbers have personalities and they have things about them that sets them apart from just being a rock climber, you know, and, and that, and that's what I look for in an athlete. You know, I get contacted a lot, you know, cause our team is small. It's always been small, yeah. you know, um, it started off with two athletes and then it went to three. Then I think, you know, it's kind of capped at like, it's never been over 10, you know, you guys are like our, eight now or something. Yeah, probably eight, yeah. you know, and like for our pro team, for sure. And um, and, and the one thing I was hearing, because I was hearing, you know, as you start to get into the industry, you start to hear different companies and different athletes and their perspectives and athletes saying that they don't feel heard or they don't feel respected or they don't, you know, um, feel as if they can be themselves or say what they want for risk of being cut or you know, and I, and I definitely didn't want that for sure. Um, it's challenging. It's difficult if you have athletes who are vocal, you know, um, but if, if you know how to navigate the space of, of the internet, of social media, um, then it, it's, it's something that can be, you know, managed, you know, and, and, and handled respectfully for the athlete and for the company. Um, and, and so that's why I never, you know, tried to, um, police my athletes. Um, I'm always concerned for their safety, you know, cause trolls do exist. Especially um, for Melise. Yeah. Trolls. Yeah. She, I mean, she's had to get a couple trolls blocked or banned or reported to Instagram. Um, you know, they do exist. And so I'm always concerned for, for the safety of the athletes, but I, I want them to feel, feel that they have the support of a, of a brand that can, you know, amplify their voice if they need it amplified. Yeah. And, and, and that, and that, and that is something that I've seen, um, from bigger companies, um, you know, like, uh, there's a couple companies, um, it's funny because some of these companies that I might mention or may not mention <laughs> are good in some cases and not good in other cases. Yeah. Uh, you know, because some some companies are they stand behind their athletes when when something goes wrong. Um, like Nike stood behind Serena Williams. Yeah. You know when when she when she had um, her issues dealing with you know 
uh, her sport, um, you know, and, and it's just challenging for a brand to, 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 to deal with, you know, like Colin Kaepernick, for example, like brands just, they don't, they're trying to ride the wave of, of, of what the current trend yeah. is, you know? So if the current trend is not George Floyd, then they're like, Oh, we're cutting you, you know, you're too vocal. You're too this, you're too that, you know? But as soon as like something tragic happens, they're like, Oh, we need Colin Kaepernick back. We, oh, yeah, man. we're always been a Colin Kaepernick fan. Oh yeah. We're, we're his, you know, We've always been in his corner. They're like, nah, you know, people ain't that dumb. You know, yeah. we can see through the BS. Pretty sure it know? was opposite of that. <laughs> like the yeah, exactly oh, yeah. the opposite. He, he lost a lot of sponsors and you know, it was it was tragic, you know, what yeah, happened to his, his career. career. He was a great football player, you know, and 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 the stands that he took and 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 how some brands stood alongside him and some didn't. Fucking you Nike know? did a stand up job with him. Oh my god. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 you know, some brands handle it better, some don't, you know, um, being involved in athletics my whole life has allowed me to kind of fall in love with particular brands that help me perform my sport better. Yeah. And then you can see how they treat their athletes or how, whatever they do. And, and one brand that I can think of in particular was Reebok, um, the way that they protected Allen Iverson. Oh, um, yeah. A lot of the drama that Allen went through and the pains and struggles of, you know, growing up in a low-income, marginalized community um, and, and, and the impact that it had on his life and his culture and his, 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 his life story that changed the NBA, um, it scared the NBA. It scared brands. It scared Nike. It scared everyone. You know, you hear you got this guy coming in completely, you know, like a brand new player on NBA Live, right? You know, just a basic haircut, no tattoos, just wearing a regular jersey. And all of a sudden, in like less than a year, he's tatted, got the cornrows. He's like <laughs> fully expressing himself. He's got the chains, the clothes. He's hanging out with rappers. And the brands are like, whoa, you got to back up. You know, <laughs> NBA is like, hey, you got to chill with this. We don't want to you know, promote this culture. And he's like, what? This is me. This is who I am. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly you know? what I want to promote. Yeah. You know, and they're like, well, we need you to wear a suit and wear this and get rid of those tattoos, wear your hair normally. And yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. They, you know, he experienced a lot of um, pain and trauma from the rules that were built against him. And, uh, you know, Alan Iverson wasn't perfect, um, uh, but, you know, he definitely paved the way for the NBA and what it is today. I totally and Reebok, agree. Reebok stood behind him, you know, every step of the way, they stood behind him, mm. you know, and, uh, and that spoke volumes to me even today where I am having my athletes, when my athletes are vocal and they are, you know, saying things, you know, I may not have the social influence of Nike, you know, or Reebok, um, you know, but Beast Fingers does have an influence and I sense it, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, and, but people, people pay attention to our athletes. They listen to them, you know, and um, sometimes it surprises me when people are like, oh yeah, I came across, you know, Maylis from Beast Fingers or I came across Maureen from Beast Fingers and, you know, 
then that I feel like we're doing our job. You oh. know? Yeah, I mean, um, you've got two of the most outspoken advocates for, you know, the advocacy that they want to promote on your team, but two of the loudest voices in all of rock climbing with Melise Edwards and... Tell me, I've uh, gotten emails. And, but Maureen, <laughs> you need to tell your athletes to be quiet. They are doing this. They're, these are your athletes. I'm like, ah, you should manage them. And I'm like, eh. I don't tell them shit. I'm just like, <laughs> hey, you know, I'm thinking about you. You know, I know you're dealing with a lot of struggles right now, but I got your back. You know, it's hard. It's really hard, you know, because then it's like I live off of these fingers. Like, this is my life. Yeah. You know, so when someone says, oh, we're not going to support you because of your athlete. That's yeah. And then and then people are like, well. You need to tell them to this or that, or we're not going to support you. You know, it, it's tough. It's tough. You know, it's like I can understand if I had a twenty, you know, a nine to five job where I can just be like, oh yeah, maybe you're right. All right, send them an email. Hey, you know, because of blah blah blah, write some legal email, and Ugh. we're going to have to cut ties, whatever. You know, but no, that's not the path I took. You know, and um, I just rode the wave wherever it took me. And of course it was, it was hard. It was a struggle, but it's always like people are like, it's your athlete. I'm like, they got other sponsors. You tell them this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no they're shit. always coming at these fingers, you know, but I, I think it's, I think it's funny, you know? Um, and I think it's, 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 it, it just shows the, the, the impact that I, that beast fingers has that I don't even realize that it has, you know? When you have people that are part of these bigger communities who are saying, yeah. hey, you need to tell your athlete to be quiet. And I'm like, no, I'm going to let them say what they want to say. I can't tell them what to do. And they're like, well, maybe you should cut them. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that either. You know, and so. That's yeah, why here I, I mean, here we are today. <laughs> that's why I think you've these fingers, this this little company, I mean, with a big impact and a great product that literally every climber can use but it's a small company but the culture you've created at beast fingers fuck man i just think it's a paragon that so many other companies can learn from in these days because we talked about this last night how the zeitgeist right now in the wake of you know brianna taylor and ahmad and george floyd mm -hmm. and and just countless yeah, others that we piece. could yeah we could just rattle those off all day um there's this zeitgeist now where companies are trying to be more inclusive and trying to have the right pictures on social media um it's hard for me to look at that i think and not feel a little bit cynical like where the fuck were you two years ago where were you two months ago yeah and i mean a lot of a lot of climbers of color feel that way a lot of them feel in some ways it's too late and then some feel as if it's a start yeah um and it, it it's it's a struggle for sure you know it's 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 a it's a period of growth on both sides uh growth of being able to accept and to trust you whichever the company it is black diamond or petzl or whoever um but also um the change is happening within the company as well. 
So it's on both sides. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard for everyone, I think, um, being able to navigate um, this world, you know, and, uh, with, with, with everything coming to the forefront. I mean, I've been seeing police brutality since I was young. You know, um, the effects and uh, my own on my own family. You know, the impact of the social in, uh, uh, injustice of the um, prison systems in America. You know, yeah. Um, you know, and, and it definitely does make you feel more comfortable to be in America, uh, but it also at the same time makes you feel uncomfortable as well too. Yeah. Even though there's progress. Um, and the only, and the only reason why I say that is, and I feel like it's the American way is, is, um, progress is good, but at the expense of a loss of history. And I think that has affected America a lot. We progress, we move forward, we advance 10 years, and then we remove whatever it was that we progressed from out of the history books. You know, and I like the way Cornell West put it. He says, just because I stabbed you in the back and pulled the knife out six inches does, does not mean it's necessarily progress because the knife's still in you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and the way, the way he frames uh, racism in America is just like, wow. <laughs> Didn't think about it that way. Yeah, he's you know, the best. The, the knife is still in your back. You know, but we pull it out a little bit and say, hey, that's progress. You know? <laughs> this is good. This is good for you. Yeah, he's he's great. Um, but it's true. You know, we, uh, you know, um, these are the concepts that we think about each day. And we try to 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 just survive each day, just knowing that um, things are getting better and that things are getting better for other people of color as well that are not just black. Yeah. Well, how does how does climbing keep it at, at the forefront of them? I'm just, it makes me uh, sick and nervous, and gives me anxiety to think that in, you know, when the cloud of COVID, fucking knock on wood, finally lifts, if it ever ever does, yeah. and, and um, some of the these policies that are being talked about are instituted in police stations, it, it, you know, we go maybe a couple years where there aren't too many, um, George Floyd esque tragedies in that. How do we keep climbing in particular from sliding back into the lethargy of a sport that has historically been basically controlled by like white men? Hmm. You know, how do we yeah. stop that slide back or that, like you put it, that loss of history? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, um, I feel like movement uh, and earth tracks have definitely provided good examples of how we can maintain that progress, um, you know, by allowing these groups like Brown Girls Climb or Brown Ascenders or, you know, Asia, the Asian climbing groups and the the native climbing groups, allowing these groups to continue to thrive in these communities of, of, of climbing gyms. The gyms play a huge role in the inclusivity of climbing in America. Absolutely. I mean, a especially with the rise of climbing gyms in damn near every town, every large metropolis in the city hosts oh, yeah. four or five climbing gyms. So the access to climbing is oh yeah, like it's, it's never been before. It's true. 
yeah, the gyms have a big power uh, over climbing. Oh yeah, and it just is just going to get even more powerful. The impact that they're going to have on climbing culture. Yeah, Amon, I have a question about your website. So, how come you you don't have like a page about you on there on the VCS page? <laughs> <laughs> Because you go to the website and it's hard to find find you on there. I'm just curious. As, as Cornelius will say, the consequences of white supremacy. Oh man! No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it, you know it's a uh, it's something I've always thought about. I never wanted Beast Fingers Climbing to um, be how would you say? Um, I wouldn't. I didn't want Beast Fingers Climbing to 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 suffer because of my image or who I am. Um, uh-huh. Now, of course, all of this is was was done before. You know, I've become more vocal later in the years of Beast Fingers Climbing um, than in the beginning, only because I am one of the few black-owned climbing companies. Yeah, and in uh in america in the world um and i didn't want the stereotypes that are attached to the black man to be brought onto these fingers and that and that you know could be my own paranoia and fear that i have to grow through um i've thought about that personally in my own life should i have information about me on the internet and have always feared what would people think? All my customers are mostly white. And even in the beginning, when I started my first uh, fundraise kind of Kickstarter to fund Beast Fingers in the beginning, they were all white, you know? Um, no one knew who I was. They didn't know who ran Beast Fingers or who operated. A lot of people thought it was German because the, the group pool. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um you know and people would post like old gripples on ebay and it'll be like german owned and i'm like oh, okay we made it <laughs> um but uh <laughs> no we're not german owned <laughs> that's good born from the born from the red line communities of america yeah you know, uh out of the struggle um but um yeah, you know, and it's something that I've talked with even my family about, you know, hey, should I put information about me? And they said, no, you know, I personally felt that I didn't want it on there anyways, you know, but it's something to be said that if a black man running a company in a white dominated industry has to feel afraid or yeah. fearful of showing himself, um, and that is the reality of what it is. You know, and it's sad, but I think that comes from the lack of intersectional dialogue within our communities that allows for a black business to thrive in a white community. That's fucking tragic. I mean, I think that's something like the truth is you're going to be speaking to a mostly white audience, you know, in this podcast. It's, It's climbing. You know what I mean? Majority, at least. And I, I think that that's something that most white climbers have no idea about. 
when you say that they they would say, oh, Mon just doesn't want to be on social media. He's one of the lucky ones that has that fucking good wiring in his head that allows him to not be on Facebook and not be on Twitter. But the truth is, you're worried about the impact that it would have on your business. Yeah, and that's we- something that I have to grow through. Yeah. I mean, to show my face. I mean, that's a societal level issue, right? That's, yeah, outside uh, of climbing. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. What are the, what are, so we kind of chatted about this last night, but what are the, some of the other struggles that you face as a, a black business owner in a mostly white dominated industry? Oh, oof, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I try not to think about it too much. Yeah. Um, I try to, I try to let the, the products, the company, the data, the research speak for itself. Um, but you have your quiet moments where I'm yeah, sure there's other dialogue in your mind. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of those dialogues I do have with my father or other black business owners that I call regularly and talk to and ask him, you know, where we could just talk about the experiences that we both share. Um, you know, buddy of mine, he, uh, he has his own real estate business and, um, Washington, D.C., and he inspired me, you know, because when I had my career, <laughs> we used to joke about it all the time, like, bro, you ain't never had a job. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I don't need a job, <laughs> you know, because, you know, he he had a successful uh, real estate business, and uh, he inspired me for sure. He, uh, I didn't know too many black business owners that were my age that were making it, that were, like, doing well, Yeah, you know that built their businesses, whether from the ground up or from family, um, generational um, ties, you know, you don't see that a lot in the black community. You know, there are no companies passed down from grandpa to dad to son to nephew or to wherever, you know, where there's this lineage of wealth that just passes through the family. You don't see that a lot. So anytime you see a black business owner, they usually have started that company from the bottom yeah with no resources no capital um you know so um it's challenging you know and you're right you know sometimes i'll talk to you know um, my mentors who are white and they they don't quite relate yeah um not necessarily that they need to um but you know they they just don't we, we just can't have those dialogues we just can't have those types of conversations. You yeah. know, we're having conversations about how do you, you know, get investment capital? How do you, what are the type of things that investors like to see, you know? Whereas with your black business owners, you're calling them like, hey, oh man, like you don't believe what I had to deal with today. You know, it, you know, those, those are the type of, the, the differences in the dialogues between my mentors who are white and who are black. Yeah. Well, who are entrepreneurs. Do you think if you, I mean, I feel like if you entered into, um, I'm forgetting the word I'm trying to use. If you put your face in front of, in your story, in front of Beast Fingers a little bit more, you could be that inspiration that a black kid out there who's like, I want to start my own business. I don't see anybody like me in the climbing world right now. And that's fucking scary. And I, that makes me 
pump my brakes to think about, do I, do I want to enter that white dominated world when I don't see a whole lot of allies out there, but you are that person. Mm. I feel like, I mean, is that a, do you think you're going to grow your voice a little bit in the coming years and maybe enter, um, you know, maybe have your name on one single page online that like <laughs> my name's Amon and I own this company. Like I built it from the ground up because nobody knows. Yeah, no, I, I, I have become more vocal for sure. And, and I, I do think it, it, it will happen. Um, you know, I remember when we were, when we were helping raise, you know, money uh, for the Sabrina, uh, Sabrina's film. Yeah. Um, Sabrina Chapman. Um, that was like one of the first times I showed my face. <laughs> wow. That was less than yeah. a year ago. Yeah. That was one of the first times I showed my face. <laughs> People were like, whoa. <laughs> Anyways, where's my order? You know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's a growth it's, that's happening inside of me too. Yeah. You know, as Beast Fingers builds its influence, you know, um, Beast Fingers is separate from me. You know, it's its own person. Yeah. You know, and 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 I am a vehicle for Beast Fingers, and Beast Fingers is a vehicle for me um, to help both of our message grow. Yeah. Um, Beast Fingers was my vehicle into this white world of climbing. It wouldn't have happened any other way. Yeah. What a fucking and, success story, man. Yeah, and and now um now I can share my voice because of what Beast Fingers did for me. It yeah. opened up the door for me to talk. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, it's uh we help each other out. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> Beast, Beast Fingers is my Beast, best friend. <laughs> Beast Fingers is my best friend. <laughs> Total ladies out there. Sorry, I'm taken. I'm mar- married to Beast Fingers. She's a sweet lady. Uh, what's your what? What's the final goal with Beast Fingers? What do you? Where do you see the company going in the future? We didn't talk about this last night, and I'm super curious. Yeah, you know, it's a. Uh, it always started off as a school, actually. Beast Fingers Climbing Academy. Um, I didn't even. It's funny. This was years ago. I didn't even know ABC existed, you know, or Team Texas or some of these, you know. Elite teams. Yeah, kid-centric facilities. You know, I didn't even know any of this stuff existed. And I was like, man, I want to, I want to, like, start a kid's team and just, you know, create monsters. So that's why I called it Beast Fingers. Yeah. Um, The brand actually worked well enough for products, but initially it was for an academy. (laughs) Wow. Um, yeah. So that that is the ultimate goal is to build an institute uh, for the highest level of climbing research, Dude. finger research, data research in the in the world, on par with, um, you know, the the crew that that works out of um, with Christoph Luther and so many other greats in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we don't want to do surgery. That's big. I did envision like a room that was dedicated to finger surgeries. Whoa. <laughs> wow. But yeah. For injuries? 
for injuries oh wow yeah. holy crap yeah yeah but um yeah that's that's big well because because right now the the youth team for beast fingers you guys train out of other climbing facilities correct or... no we have one oh we you have do one facility yeah okay when yeah. did that happen because i i used to talk uh... with kaya a little bit kaya butterfield. butterfield oh by oh butterfield yeah. uh yeah um yeah at, yeah at the time yeah we had the one facility we sublease uh we um we we uh we work out of um, mountain strong mm -hmm. yeah so we we that's our home um it's based out of denver colorado it's a great space too it's small it's probably less than six thousand square feet and um the environment is great yeah. for kids because it's an open floor and we have four walls and we had stuff put in like a ladder for them to do campusing on so it doesn't damage their fingers. Um, so a lot of my research and background in, in, in sports and, and medicine and, and like medicine and nutrition yeah. comes comes into full play in that environment for me. And uh, and it's, it's great because then I can express the, everything about my background yeah my health background my design background my research background mm -hmm. oh man that's bad I, i'm gonna be there on monday meeting with jamie Gitch oh yeah gachalian i've known him for yeah, yeah. 15 jamie, years yeah. he's a good friend yeah he sets routes for for the kids oh sometimes. badass yeah yeah when we first started we uh let's see maybe three and a half years ago it was kind of like a mobile team it was like two athletes and then as the team started to grow uh gyms are not like that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i had to find a home and uh and mountain strong uh definitely um came through for us and has allowed us to operate in that facility and contribute to the future developments of the facility Oh, to foster great. the the continual development of our team and our kids, and those guys are are pretty um, like they're into growth for sure. They see a lot of of different avenues where Mountain Strong can grow as well because they're kind of a unique. That's a really unique facility. Like I can see why, uh, as a team, that would be like a prime location because it's really pliable and malleable, and you can kind of make Mountain Strong into whatever you want it to be to like suit yeah. your needs. Yeah, no, it's true. Perfect yeah, we tone. have the facility. Um, you know, it's just a team in there. To, you know, the kids are by them. You know, they're just with each other. You know, they don't have to share with anyone. You know, and and it's great because you know, I thought about it. And I was like, you know, if if you want a climbing team to thrive, you can't share. <laughs> no. You know, you, it has to be just for kids. Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of climbing teams are like, "Well, I want to make our team stronger. I want to do." Yeah, it's possible. You can create a strong team. I mean, I feel like Rockman Jammin did a great job in the early their early days of creating a, a stellar team. Um, you know, Jamie was a part of that. That was program. Jamie as well. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and yeah, they had great athletes. You know, crushed at divisional championships and nationals. You know. And, and, and those kids have moved on, of course, you know, with the, the end of their youth program. But um, those kids continue to thrive and continue to excel on the competition circuit recreationally and outside. Um, 
so you know but i do think that a youth youth centric program has to thrive in a facility that is not shared with adults yeah you know and i don't know how the future of usa climbing is going to deal with uh the future of our sport when it comes to diversity equity and inclusion um but uh when it comes to developing youth-centric facilities i think the future model uh is definitely what team texas abc has pioneered and i feel like mesa rim as well um evo has built a kids facility and um, I'm not sure if it's competition, but I think it's recreational. But, you know, going forward, I, I do sense that it, it, this is the direction if we, if we wanted to continue to develop youth athletes within a youth-centric um, development program for the Olympics. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Is Justin Shong still coaching at Evo? Is he the head coach there? No, 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 he's at Earth Tracks now. Oh, yeah. he's at Earth Tracks. Yeah, he's part of the L Cap. Oh, right, L Cap. Yeah, sold out to the yeah. big guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so what? Yeah. Are you, you on, on top of all these crazy cool things you're doing, one thing I find fascinating fascinating is your deep dive into the research and study of like climbing strength fingers. So I'm kind of just curious. What are some like? What are some insights that maybe you've garnered from your research that you think not a lot of people know about? Or what are some things you find particularly um, uh, full of potential in terms of like progressing climbing strength? Mm. This is kind of more of a, just a training question, but I'm kind of curious because, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I first started collecting data, uh, finger data, in overall like strength metrics for climbing at the time there i don't think there was any company doing it or any um like peer-reviewed like college-based university-based research that was taking place there have been studies in america um and overseas across the world Mm -hmm. um yeah, Europe has put out a lot of research. Australia, the Australian national team, and some of their um, their research facilities have put out a lot of great research. Um, but at the time, there hadn't been any quantification for climbing grades in particular. Uh, it was more so just to squash the debate oh is it stronger fingers or is it technique you know and so that was debate back in 2014 15 that was the ongoing debate oh it's technique oh it's stronger fingers oh it's technique (laughs) and uh and i was just like well why don't we just like figure it out you know that's what we do in research yeah you know and um and I spent some time with one of the legends of, of, of climbing in America, Chris Knuth. And uh, he was one who is, uh, has been um, said to have brought the knee bar to America. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris Knuth FA'd the crew 514 
B, I think, when he put it up, and then it got upgraded to a C. Is that right? Or it was a C that upgraded to a D. Honestly, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the grade is. Yeah. But he he has a huge influence in the climbing community here in Colorado and across America. His his climbs are timepieces and test pieces for pros yeah. or before they go pro. Like Margot Hayes, when she did the crew, after she Big did deal. the crew. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah her future changed. Yeah. So, and I remember I was talking to Chris and uh, he told me when he remembered Chris Sharma first showing up at rifle and he had zero technique <laughs> and he was just climbing these climbs, slaying yeah. them yeah. and just all fingers cutting Dude, yeah. feet. And uh, he said <laughs> he changed the world for us because he said that he came from the generation of trad climbers who just focused on, you know, technique and moving and sequences and placing gear and not risking your life because you got a family you probably possibly yeah. have and you don't want to die. And so then bolting came out and then routes started going up like crazy. And then Chris came, you know, Chris Sharma just started slaying and, when he was like 14, 15. And Chris Knuth seeing this was like, this is the future. This is the future of climbing right here. This dynamic, jumpy, slaying, dead Powerful. point. Style. That's the future. Yeah. I remember and that's all fingers. All fingers. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when Sharma kind of was coming up, I was like, holy shit, this kid's going to single-handedly destroy technique for Americans for like a generation. Oh, yeah. Because he was just fucking like, his footwork was awful. It was just pure brawn and natural ability that was just like crushing him to the chains. You know what I mean? What's What's funny is you can actually find on YouTube, there is a video clip from like the early 90s of Chris Sharma climbing Zulu in rifle as a little kid. And if you watch yeah. that clip, he's literally exactly as you described it. His feet are cutting, his sh- he, but he's just like, he just doesn't fall and he can just hold on and keep going. Nuts. Yeah, man. That's it. Yeah. And that actually drove a lot of my inspiration for my research. Because um, at the time, um, there wasn't any uh, data on the various climbs of finger. Mm-hmm. you know when it came to quantifiable metrics for fingers yeah for particular climbing grades there was like the you know the all-knowing like if you want to climb hard hang off 20 mil edge with your with your body weight that was just a rule yes. that everybody just kind of knew but how do you get there was what people didn't quite understand you know, and that's when the pulleys came out back in like the eighties and people started using pulleys on hangboards to take yeah. weight off. And, you know, but it was just kind of like, it was all qualifiable. Like, yeah, just take off a couple pounds and now you can hang, you know, fast forward to today. And now Beast Fingers has put out all this research when it, when it comes to percentage of body weight and, and metrics and, and helps kind of reframe how we look at climbing quantifiably and qualifiably to improve performance for, for, for climbing. Um, and when I started this research in 2015, it was more so just internal. I was just kind of keeping it just as for, for just for market research and for product research, just to understand the gripple better. Cause I was learning about my own product. 
you know, just from learning from my customers. And I'll just keep the research. And then I, I realized something. Um, people who climb certain grades had a, a margin of, of finger strength, whether it be plus, plus three or plus five pounds, negative or positive. And they were all within a range. Like you climb V6, it was kind of within this range. You climb V10, it was in this range. You climb V16, it was in this range. And I began to start seeing these patterns. And I was thinking to myself, well, maybe I should try maybe a little bit of control. It's very hard to, to add control to a study like this because yeah. people are so different. Um, and then there's women and there's men and then there's tall and then there's short, you know. And so there's just so much. So many variables. Um, so many variables, but when, when, when breaking it down to just fingers and body weight, um, it simplifies the data, um, leaving out the variance for, mm -hmm. for, for error. Um, and, uh, I began to start seeing clear patterns from V1 all the way to V16. Um, then the Alpine club got wind of our research and sponsored our research wow. to be presented in France. And here, you know, low-income boy from Florida going to France. You know, I had never been out you know, to a country and, like that before, you know? And it was <laughs> huge. That was the paper. My family was like, what? You're going to France? Like, what? <laughs> That's so cool. I mean, that paper, was that the optimizing muscular strength to weight ratios? Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh, that one. Yeah. And, and that study um, didn't have um, because I, I, I didn't I, I didn't want to include any uncontrolled like qualifiable research that was as controlled as I could get it and still you can see the patterns um, some of the research that I have uh, internal use you know it's very clear you know and even when I was in in France presenting um, the paper and giving my presentation, you know, you got Eva Lopez in the room. Oh and yeah, Eric Horst and you know Eric Horst, and you're just like some what? big names. Yeah, like I read these people's books and materials, and here I am talking to them about fingers. Wow, and it was just oh mind God. blowing, you know. And I remember right after. Eva Lopez walks up to me and she's like, hey, I've been trying to buy a gripple and it's always out of stock. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, man, it was funny. Um, but it was great because, you know, that was when I introduced the calculator. Um, yeah. yeah. Like the first prototype of the calculator. And uh, it was blowing people's minds because they would type in their body weight and then it would spit out a number and they'd be like, oh my gosh, that's me. Oh yeah, there it is, the <laughs> online version. Yeah, 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 it's all fancy now. Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, that, that definitely changed the game for Beast Fingers. Outside of just products, um, research definitely be became attached to our brand. Um, People didn't talk about beast fingers without talking about strength to weight ratio, you know, and and the gripple was just a part of that discussion, you know. Ever since we released the calculator online, it gets more traffic than all of our products. Like no one even looks at our products anymore. Wow, <laughs> they just look at the calculator, you know. Um, even before the online version came out, the paper had already had over six thousand downloads, so it's out there, 
You know, yeah. I don't know who's reading it, but people are reading it. I've gotten notifications of people like mentioning our paper and their paper. You know, of course we have critics, and of course we have people who are in favor of our research too. Um, but yeah, I received a lot of criticism in the beginning to not do it. Um, people who were saying there's too many variables for climbing. It's too much. It's too much to to quantify. You're wasting your time. Or some people who would say, oh, you know, this is just, I don't crimp that hard and I climb B12, you know. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. If you don't have critics, I mean, once you start getting critics, you know that your research has import. It has oh, importance, man. you know, that th when you start getting oh, critics, man. that means that it's, it's important enough for people to dedicate their time to, to try yeah. to like either lampoon it or champion it. That's fucking you, when it starts making waves. Oh, yeah. You you spend one hour on Reddit just looking at... Oh, God. Uh, Beast Finger stuff on Reddit. Oh, man. People <laughs> just tearing yeah, us they, up. The boy. Climb Harder, oh. the Climb Harder subreddit. Oh, is, Climb Harder. Yeah. Man. Hey, we, we, we've had a love-hate relationship. One, <laughs> one time I got banned. What? <laughs> <laughs> I got banned. Um, because I posted the Gripple XL and, uh, they were like, this is not a marketing channel. And I'm like, bro, I've been on this it's for like three years. Tool. Like yeah. I've been posting research for the last two years and I post like maybe three. Okay. Maybe four. Okay. Gripple <laughs> XL posts <laughs> and I get banned. Um, but there's still tons of, of our research on Reddit that people have taken from Beast Fingers and post reposted on Reddit and, you know, have showed our data in different presentation styles, different data visualizations. It's amazing. People on Reddit are smart as hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't mess with those guys, man. I just go on there and I just read. I don't say anything anymore. They just go at it. You know, yeah, scary I've world, even talked yeah. to I've, I've talked to a couple of like the researchers that I collaborate with and I'm like, Hey, you mind talking to some, I don't understand what these people were saying. Cause they're like data analysts, you know, like this is their career. They're statistical analysts. They create formulas. And I'm just like, Whoa, they're asking me questions that I can't answer, <laughs> you know? So yeah, I just, yeah, these guys are smart, <laughs> but they appreciate our work and they embrace our work. You know, so that that's what's inspiring uh, about the climb harder people. So big I mean, ups to climb harder. People. <laughs> there you go, you my dude. It, it, hits that, <laughs> it hits that sweet spot where that climbers want to like. What do I need to do to climb harder? And you're like, all right, well, based on the people we've we've studied, like generally, if you people who climb this grade can hold this percent of their body weight in one hand, you know, like yeah, people. Yeah, it's it, good to know. It's like maybe it's not a hundred percent accurate, or there are reasons why you could question it. But at the same time, it's still data that it exists. Oh yeah, there's there's not a single thread on Reddit that talks about fingers that doesn't at some point mention yes. these fingers climbing. Yeah. At some point, yeah, whether it's a critic or someone who's in favor of it. So, so yeah, it's 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 a popular topic for sure. Yeah, well, Tom Randall did the same research in uh, Europe. And he was collecting data for European grades, mm -hmm. and um, our data matched up. Oh, so wow. that's why I just keep doing what I do, you know. And 
Um, he inspires me. I, I think I inspire him. I hope. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, he's he's a great guy. We've talked a lot about data. We've talked about fingers, all oh, things that you know. Yeah, you don't really hear too much about. Um, he's a very intelligent guy. Yeah, you know. I mean, you guys yeah. are the the new generation. You and Tom Randall are the first people who are doing analytics driven research into climbing, like really yeah. publishing peer reviewed studies and compiling data. That's fucking crazy, man. That is a really watershed moment for this sport. Yeah. It's, it's funny because now everyone does it and it's like, they charge for it. Come here. We'll do your analytics and charge you 80 bucks. I'm like, man, I can make money off of this. <laughs> like, what? Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, and some people come to me like, Mom, you should start doing this too. You start charging. I'm like, I didn't do it for the money. So it's hard for me to like, you know, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll do your analytics and whatever Amen. and charge you. I'm just like, it's just not for me. It's, I have, it's funny. I, I started a software company to make my life easier for my coaching yeah for my kids not for adults yeah i just feel like adults just want to get strong for their own selfish reasons but i think for kids it's different because while they're getting stronger and walking up these grades they're going through emotional and, and all sorts of physiological changes so it's really stressful so they're growing through the grades of a climber, kind of like martial arts, where you're going from white belt to yellow belt to you know different yeah. belts, you know. Whereas when you're an adult, it's it's you know the, the the learning that you can grow through climbing. Whereas if you were eight years old, you know, turning, you know, growing through this program to aging out, it's 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 life changing. Some of these kids, on a comprehensive level, develop you know, amazing cognitive skills through, through rock climbing and the ability to process stress and, and deal with emotions uh, while also understanding their strengths. Pretty remarkable. Man, I got to say, well, first of all, we've gone like an hour longer than we chatted about going last night. <laughs> but to wrap up, I want to say like everything that we're talking about tonight and when you brought up like maybe your future plans of building an institute or some sort of academy, fucking you have the analytics taken care of. You have an ethos that every single per the good people will find admirable uh, in your inclusion and in your diversity and how you let your climbers speak their minds with free reign. Man. You got to get Thank this. You, you got to get this academy up and running because you have every platform covered in like this diaspora of your company. Thank you. I appreciate it's that. It's just ripe yeah. for it, man. Dave very eloquently kind of <laughs> came to a good little conclusion there, but I do want to say that um, I was I I watch a lot of Juji Mufu videos, and when he whipped that a gripple out. In one of his videos oh. with Magnus, dude, I was so psyched. I was like, "Holy shit! I know, I know who made that. Like, that's awesome." Yeah, but, yeah, dude, that must that have been amazing. that must have been surreal for like a gigantic YouTube star to like be using your product, man, and like heavily featuring it. 
Yeah, I didn't even know. I mean, he had already had a million views before I even found out about it. Dude, that's crazy. I was just looking at the store like, why are we getting so many orders? It's <laughs> that's ridiculous. So cool. That's so like, cool. I gotta do all this work Yeah, what's now. going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then someone sent me the link, and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, that's he did amazing. a full, like, feature on it. Dude, like, yeah, he, he really 30, liked 40 it. 30, 40 minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. That's cr- that's so sick yeah it was pretty cool <laughs> and he had a uh, magnus yep. on there too yeah and that guy's strong that guy's strong yeah. as fuck that guy's oh a God. freak magnus <laughs> yeah. mitbo is a freak yeah it's it's amazing i mean I, I i try and keep track of all the strong gripple pullers out there they're they're out there oh yeah, yeah. They're out there. doesn't griffin whiteside have the record still for most lifted still yeah he, wait, he, how, he lifted like 200 pounds or something how much i think it was 215 oh my god what and he said he felt comfortable enough to add 10 more pounds but he just didn't have the time <laughs> <laughs> he's got a big we're running out we're running out of weights too so <laughs> that's insane. oh my god yeah that was remarkable that was game changer for me that was when i i knew okay people who say that it's not about fingers that's you need, not true you go download our paper and read it yeah oh man so but now I have more data on B15 and up, you know, for climbers. So, so it, it's it's pretty consistent. Dude. Yeah, most of those guys can do one arm hangs with a thirty pound weight. Dude, that's cool. where can people a, find the data? Uh, it's on the page where where the calculator is. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's older research. The calculator has is infused with like more modern algorithm that determines its numbers. Um, so it has been adjusted. And each year, I think we just keep, you know, I'm just going to keep adjusting it to make sure it's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well dude, <clears throat> we should probably wrap it up. But uh, yeah, man, I really appreciate this. this man, is, this is I, good. I just wish you like literally the best of luck in all your endeavors. To, to me, like just getting to know you over the last couple of days, your voice climbing um, could really be rewarded with the amplification of your voice and your ethos mm. and your ethics. And I just, I fucking admire what you're doing so s- sincerely, so, so much. Um, Thank you. Dude, from, appreciate that. from being a baseball freak who loves analytics and loves seeing it come into <laughs> rock climbing, finally, the Paleolithic rock climbing. Yeah. To, to this is just the beginning. There's so much data to yeah. collect. Oh my god. You're just you're like balancing on the spear tip of this right now. I mean, just processing one beta one move in rock climbing. I think me and a buddy of mine, we tried to think of the different variables. There's over 40 variables for one move. Fingers is one, body weight is two. There's 40 more. Jesus. So it's yeah, complex. Just, that's just for one move. You got your work cut we out definitely, for you. We definitely take for granted like uh, what a, doing a move in climbing is in your head. You're like, oh yeah, it's just pull and go, and you forget like all the micro motor skills that your body's like performing to make that oh, move yeah. happen. So, oh, dude, yeah. we gotta. It's I mean, screwed. we gotta have you on again in person, <laughs> yeah. hopefully. And yeah, we gotta so have much, you on yeah. so much more definitely. we gotta talk about. And definitely. I want to get into your. We didn't talk about your coaching philosophy how you stepped into that. I want to talk about so much more. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's do it definitely. again. Definitely. For sure. We should. All That'd right, Amon. Well, Thank uh, you guys. 
Yeah, thank you for coming on and yeah. best of luck, man. Yeah. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye, Mon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Down in the city where the wind patterns change Blowing around the buildings all tall and strange Boom! Thank How do you. you like that? Another thing that Amon said before the interview in our phone conversation, he's like, so I want to keep this thing at like 40 minutes. Um, and I agreed with him. Let's yeah. like keep the message digestible and concise. People yeah. have such fucking short attention spans. They got to get back to their whatever. Um, but dude, almost two hours rolled by and we're like, we've just skipped the surface. Yeah. So we just ended the podcast so yeah. we can make it digestible. I mean, in my experience, anytime we always say like, let's keep it, let's keep it on the shore side. It, I don't think Never we've happens. ever had an episode where we actually keep it on the shore side, which I am a hundred percent okay with because I love long podcasts. As long as the conversations are actually engaging um, and I think for the most part, we've done a good job of that. I think, I hope. I mean, is I he hope. the only climber we've ever talked to and we did not talk about his own personal climbing? <laughs> like what, like what's your favorite area where, yeah, you know, yeah. we, we didn't even broach no. that topic. Anyway. Um, thank you, Amon, so much. Um, we just kind of glanced over it that I, we'd love to yeah. have him on again. So mm-hmm. hopefully within the next yeah. year or two, we'll have him on, and, on again. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, I'm sure Dave and I, but Dave and I both are very critical of ourselves. And I think we both agree that we didn't, we could have done better in handling some transitions between difficult topics, but we definitely are trying to learn from that. And, uh, at the end of the day, we're two, we're just two blue collar boys. (laughs) Amon's so goddamn interesting that it was hard to stick with one subject because I, I was so eager to talk you know, to, to get his feelings on being a black entrepreneur, to I get know. his feelings on his team, like how he built it. But I also wanted to know about like, dude, like you're I know. knee deep in analytics and yes. data. How did that come up about? How did you become a designer? Yeah. How did you discover climbing in Florida with like 60,000 mm-hmm. other people who are badasses from Florida? But yeah, our, our segues were a little wonky sometimes, but thanks for uh, thanks for listening through. Yeah, and uh, I mean, to me, the thing that really stuck out was just when Amon, you know, because I was curious why Amon wasn't that big of a face on the website, and then you realize his reasoning is pretty, like you said in the podcast, it's pretty tragic. It's, pretty, it's just heartbreaking. And uh, that, something you don't that, even yeah, consider. Ex- exactly, and that right there is huge lesson. Huge lesson, yeah. Huge, like, education of what, you know, we all go through these different struggles, but that's a struggle an entire, you know, group of Americans have to deal with every day that that some other groups don't, like, it isn't even a, a cognizant realization. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. Anyway, we're going to keep working at it. We're going to keep trying to grow um, and elevate. I, we have a platform and... Um, I've been talking to a lot of people about it. Yeah. And um, it's time for us to start yeah. using our platform uh, to not only tell fart jokes. Yes. Well, I mean, it's mostly Maureen Beck telling poop and fart jokes yeah. on our podcast. But also, you know, yeah, like like you're saying, to, you know, make sure that we give a platform for minority voices. Um, you know, not just, to be honest, like Dave and I, we have been, we have been slightly lazy in how we get our guests sometimes where it's just like, this is the person who could come this week 
and we can both probably try harder in uh reaching out to more people yeah of, get uh, some like yeah just different different intersectional diversity on our yes. fucking podcast um and we're gonna try harder at that uh we have heard you thank you for everybody who's been writing it's almost all been positive um and it's all been like super instructive some of it was quite painful uh you yeah. know who you are <laughs> um but those painful conversations yeah. have blossomed into an absolute goddamn education with people i talk to for the last three or four weeks almost every yeah. single day via text all about inclusivity diversity um white fragility white privilege it, it, like almost every day with some of mm -hmm. these people one person in particular rad you know who you are. I'm going to call you out right now. Thank you so much for everything yeah. you've done for me and the conversations that we've had. Uh, they started out very painful. Mm -hmm. They but have now become productive. Just like I wouldn't give them up for anything. I wouldn't give them up for anything. I mean, I'm sorry, Rad. I'd give them up for like $10 million. Yeah. But then I'd give away a bunch of that to charity. Mm -hmm. But I'd, Dang. Like, I'd give like 100000 yeah. to charity. Two uh, hundred? I would, dude. Uh, you said all of it. Fifty thousand. Do you want to? <laughs> do you want to be just like permanently un un what's it called unabro unbroachable un, un unimpeachable unimpeachable? Yeah, if you give, I'd have to give it all away. Yeah, if you give that away, dang dude, that's a pretty good cushion. Can I like just pay off my van? Yes, at least ah, the van. Ah, fuck yes! Yeah, so I'll give away like two hundred thousand of that ten million. The rest goes to my van. <laughs> um. Anyway, okay. In other, other, so we said we would talk about it a little bit. A little um, bit. So we'll touch on it because it's just, it's undeniably a thing that's happening in the climbing world. And so, so essentially Power Climbing Company podcast, which you should definitely check out. Yeah. One of my favorites. <laughs> one of the best climbing podcasts. Uh, they found a video in which Daniel Woods uses the N word. With a hard ER. With a hard ER. Um, and they sort of called him out on it. And now there was this whole, so the story is kind of complicated in terms of who, I don't know if we should even tell yeah, the full maybe story. We shouldn't tell the story. You, should you should just seek it out. Seek it out. Cause I'm going to say it wrong anyways. But either way, at some point, Daniel Woods posted a message on his Instagram. That was, uh, an apology, an apology. And, and the comment section of oh. that post, if you haven't read the a lot of the comments, you should check it out. Maybe if you think if you think racism doesn't exist in climbing, if you think there aren't a bunch of fucking QAnon supporters uh, roiling through our community, sorry if you're a QAnon supporter. That shit's <laughs> fucking bonkers. You're bonkers. Um, conspiracy theorists, uh, race haters. Oh, uh, white privilege deniers. Yeah, deniers. <laughs> Dude, it, is, it is, and it, I mean, it extends from that all the way to just like the kind of micro uh, racism that people accept is okay. When, quite frankly, that's part of the problem. It's a is, huge part is people assuming things they say aren't harmful when they are. Ugh. And uh, either way, it's seven hundred replies long right holy now. Holy crap! Yeah. Just dig through it. It's it's uh, it's god awful. A fucking hell stew of horrifying terribleness. Yes. I don't even really know what I want to say about it right now, to be honest. Well, too. the whole thing about <laughs> I think we're going to have more to, I think me and Feedy are going to record a podcast just maybe yeah. with me and him and another friend 
um, who we don't know who that's going to be maybe next week where we just kind of sit down and talk about our feelings a little bit um, because this is our platform and we need to get we need to lay yeah, some guess, shit on the line. Yeah, yeah, we need to show where we stand on all this. Today's episode is Amon's, um, but next one I think we'll get into it. The Daniel Woods situation, uh, in so my estimation, uh, is there are some problems that we have uh, with this entire situation on every single side. Yes. Daniel's got some problems. Um not the biggest problems in the world. I'm not talking like he needs yeah. to be canceled or anything. No. Like he did something that he should have been called out for, and he has apologized. Eh, the apology had some something left to be desired, Correct. but it is a good start. But then on the other end, I, there might have been some problems the way that this was confronted yes. um, as well. It seems like maybe all parties chose rushed to the finish line when there was this video was 10 years old. There was no reason everybody couldn't have sat down for two weeks and had a private conversation yeah. first. Yeah. I think what, what Dave and I are trying to say is that we both think that this was a really good opportunity to address a really sensitive, uh, sensitive issue. And it kind of ended up falling a little on its face in terms of delivering a more productive message because of the way the parties involved sort of handled everything. And, I mean, and at the same time, yeah. like it's, it's not, there's no fucking easy answer to this. Like, also, nobody's really at fault. That's not what we're saying. Like Chris, I'm, I'm so glad that Chris Hampton um, did this. And I'm so glad that Daniel, you know, has posted online some apologies. It, it was all good. It was just a little bit, it seems a little bit problematic where the message has been lost in the yes. drama and that's the last fucking thing you want that's why when we face these awful issues in our society head on we have to face them not only from an emotional standpoint but an intellectual standpoint we need to think about how we're going to build our arguments we need to think about um the best way to reach people you know for example if you're if you're self-righteous and this has nothing to do with Chris. He wasn't self-righteous at all. Neither was Daniel. But if you're self-righteous in an argument, you're instantly going to be hate, hated. If you're not educated, you're not going to be respected. If you're not respectful, you are going to be hated. Yeah. There's so many. And it's just a lot of times when we face these things, we need to pump the brakes for a second. Mm -hmm. We need to think about the best possible path forward so that a really important point... Um a really important conversation doesn't get drowned out yeah. by drama, yeah. dipshits, nitwits, racists, and those fucking special unicorns that exist in our world who feed on drama like a fucking carp yeah. at the bottom of the river. Um, but anyway, we this is why it's so complicated because we thank Oof. Power Company, Power... Uh, we thank yeah. Chris Hampton for for bringing this up and he did a great thing and, and Daniel is trying to do his best too. It's just... It's really complicated, man. Yes. And then there's the renaming of routes thing. Woo. Fucking read Nina Williams. Just Woo. talk to Nina Williams. She's she's got it on she's lockdown. She's killing it right now. Name rename the misogynist and racist names. Don't rename something like semen exploder. You know, yeah. that's it's just you know. 
there's some uh, fucking infantile people in our in every single sport, and they're gonna name their routes that. It's not aimed at anybody. It's off putting. Well, she but made who a good point. Cares? She made a good point. I think in her post, which was saying like, she agrees that. Um, I'm hopefully I'm not mistakenly, uh, s- summarizing what she said, but I felt like she was saying that there is room for gross off-putting names yeah. but the problem is when <laughs> you name something that is like reinforcing uh stereotypes race racist uh just is it just is racist you know and uh or or affects a specific demographic of, it makes people feel I mean, unwelcome yeah. to enjoy our sport. absolutely and and like yeah like no shit <laughs> so that's where, yeah. I mean, it, it, once again, if you guys want some more painful dives into what some of the cl- darker, <laughs> darker thoughts are in the climbing community, go to the Rock and Ice and read Andrew Bishret's kind of, kind of his article on renaming roots. Just read the comments there too. There's some really painful ones um, that shed a lot of light on the ignorance that I that is just rife just rife and um hopefully i don't know i don't I, we have so much have work so much to, to do yeah, there's we so much work to do and it's so much work it's to a do. little bit overwhelming to try and view it as a one gigantic problem uh because when you do that it feels like actually this is impossible overwhelming to so i don't know addressing the, the things you can you can I think is really all you can do. So anyways, like we said, <laughs> we'll do what we're doing right now, more long form, hopefully with somebody else who can add some really good insight or input to the conversation in an upcoming episode. And you guys are more than welcome to skip that one if you dislike our message, you dislike... Um, You're like bald guys, you you're want, baldest. You don't want to feel like we are... Uh, virtue signaling virtue signaling i got a lot yeah. of that i got a lot of we, absolutely uh, the uh, negative ones i got was thundercling is virtue but we signaling. were just trying uh, hopefully uh we come across as just people learn, who are man. also trying to learn and uh clear up some ignorance that is probably present in 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 all of us and myself included um so i mean i'd say you especially i'm so very so ignorant i'm very ignorant um Jokes aside, thank you, Aman, so much for coming on. I can't wait to have you on again. Um, and again, just a personal shout out to Radica. Radic. Thank you for um, slipping into conversation <laughs> with me for the last yeah. month. Uh, almost it sharpened daily. your blade. Almost, it really did. I yeah. mean, the, the point of this whole thing. My blade is. The, the point of the, the Daniel Woods thing is. You know, we we really before we engage in battle, it's best to come up with a plan. Yes, you know what I mean, dude. I just Sun Tzu, the art of war. If you're gonna get into a conversation, have a plan. Know um, if it goes bad. Know your yeah. the, the different routes you can take, the different offshoots of a conversation where you can always salvage a, a, a conversation. And drive it into a positive yeah. way instead of letting it, uh, I mean, sometimes it's out of your control, just letting it fall into grotesque drama. Um, this is hard. This is all so hard. Yeah. But uh, it's not as hard as I, fucking walking down the street and people having to cross the street in big, front of you. A big part of me, too, is starting to lean towards the side of ignoring or not really engaging tr- like 
people on Instagram. Don't feed the trolls. Because here's, here's part of the problem with that is I think for any conversation to have any hope of producing a um, noticeable impact on an individual or person, the, the people engaged in the conversation have to have like a basic level of respect or like, I know, like, I know you, Dave. So when you say something, I value, I actually like think about it. I value it. And I kind of, ca- I care about you. I'm, I'm saying it live on the pod. I care about Dave. Thank you, Feedy. But like when you do it on social media, there's that foundation doesn't exist. So it immediately, it's, it becomes a right away. This person is not someone I ever want to yield anything to. It's, I'm going to just dig myself deeper in my, my view because I, like I have, I don't know. There's no credit that I can, there's no value to what this person's saying because I don't respect, I don't know. I don't really know what I'm trying to say here other than. People who hide behind their anonymity are <sighs> tough to have a conversation yes. with don't, and use their anonymity to shield fucking repulsive uh, viewpoints. Yeah. Don't, don't, uh, don't, don't uh, waste your time because <laughs> there's definitely better, better places to exert that energy, I think. Yeah, and if you do that online and you, you're fucking representing a company, um, I'm going to call that company and have a conversation with the owner <laughs> of that company like I did this weekend. So fuck you. You know what I mean? You're going to get... If, if you're representing a brand or yeah. you're a front desk person at a gym or you're... Uh, if you have any... If you're representing any company on Instagram and you're like fucking racism doesn't exist. You're a blank, blank, blank. You're the grossest thing I saw is like, you're an example of black Black fragility. Yeah. Just like the most disgusting fucking non sequitur I've ever heard. Well, I I hope that your company agrees with those viewpoints. If you highlight them on your Instagram or Facebook, because they're going to fucking find out about it. This is where we have to start going. Um, Well, Okay. 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 We gotta go. Need to get that we gotta, yeah, that was that got serious. That's, that got heavy. Okay, we'll see you guys soon, soon. with the, talking about our our shit. But once again, thanks, Amon. Check out Beast Fingers, guys, and check out his team. Yeah, because he has done an admirable yeah, buy job. Yeah, grip pull. Holy shit, those things are tight. Yeah, those things are badass. I'm gonna buy one right and now. And all of his research is online with a strength calculator at the yeah. Beast Fingers Climbing website. Um, it's super fun to dig into, mm-hmm. and also terrifyingly uh, technical. Some of it. <laughs> But uh, we'll see you guys hopefully in about a week. Yeah. And I hope y'all are doing well and having positive thoughts and fighting the good fight and getting out and climbing. And uh, if you want to drop us a line, we're at thunderclingpodcast at gmail.com. We're at at the thundercling on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. The feedback we've gotten for the last month has been um, really great. Incredibly productive. Dave and I both owe literally a lot of the people who have written an apology because I think we're a little behind. We're behind. But we do read them and they sit in the back of my mind and haunt me every night when I'm like, God, I really should do that as soon as possible. Richard, (laughs) Kelbell, I forgot, is it Kelly Hewitt? Uh, Kelbell Hewitt. Um, that was a really sweet message. He's a, uh, yeah. a, um, a deportation lawyer, an immigration lawyer got a hold of us and said, uh, just, it was a really nice message about it. it's nice to step away from the horror that I have to deal with every single day and the sadness and sorrow. And we can just kind of talk about climbing once in a while. Yeah. Next podcast. It's not going to be that Kelbell. So you might want to skip that one. <laughs> Um, But we appreciate you guys, and we'll see you in a week or so. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye.